Welcome back to another episode of Be Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I'm your host, Angie Huser. It's that time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Then let's get started. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Be Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I am Angie, your host, and today I have two very special guests that I am excited for you all to meet, to hear a little bit about them. We have jumped into May, which means nothing less than Mobility May. And, um, you know, I think I could talk all about that. I could probably do my own one-hour podcast on that alone, but I want to hear from the people who I believe kind of got that rolling, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't know. I only know of you guys since I've been an APT for three years. So it's always been associated with you guys. So I would like to introduce David Krupa. Did I say that right? And LP, I would do your last name, but I'm so afraid I'll butcher it. Um, both of these people, wonderful people, are a part of Romp Global. And so welcome to the show. Thanks, Angie. It is really you, good Angie. to have you. Thank you for being here to time out. We're from all over the place right now. All three of us, totally different locations. I just have my fingers crossed and pray that our connections stay stable. <laughs> so what I'd like to do is, um, David, maybe starting with you, if you would jump jump us into who you are and just a little bit about you know where you come from and what you've done prior to ROMP. Sure. Well, thanks for having us here, Angie. Um, and hello to everyone who's listening. Thank you for listening. Um, my name is David Krupa. I'm originally from Chicago. I was born there in, uh, in 1980. And I was born with a, a birth defect in my left foot, which uh, in a short order turned into an amputation. And I started using prosthetics since I was about a year and a half old. And was lucky to grow up in, in Chicago uh, and have access to prosthetic care throughout my childhood. I'm a pretty active person. I always remember being active as a kid. Uh, I have two siblings um, and uh, was blessed to really be given lots of opportunities to participate and try things, kind of figure things out growing up with a prosthesis, what I was able to do, what I didn't feel so comfortable doing, uh, and all the while having constant access um, I'm currently tuning in from Quito, Ecuador, where I live. So I live here in South America. Now I left the States in 2006. Shortly after becoming a certified prosthetist, I was really pulled into this field by my own lived experience as, as an amputee. Really love working with my hands, love working with people. Thought it was such a cool profession to be able to craft and build and design something that is like a functional piece of art that allows someone like myself, someone like you, Angie, and, and, and all of us who use prosthetic devices to get on with life and, and be a part of it. And so um, I live here in South America because um, not, not far into my early days as a, a, a wannabe prosthetist, I learned about this a massive global problem, lack of access to prosthetic care that the majority of amputees around the world face. And that just blew my mind. I couldn't imagine what that would be like if someone snuck into my room one night, stole my prosthesis, and then the next day I'm totally disabled. So my story definitely, um, I'm in this field because of lived experience as an amputee. 
I believe very much in paying things forward and trying to do do unto others as 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 others have done for me. Certainly, uh, many traditions that have taught us this great value, and um, and that was uh, being a recipient of such wonderful care up in Chicago and and wanting to create that for others. So uh, since 2005, I've been working in Latin America as one of the co-founders of Romp and our organization. And I'm sure we'll get into all that, but uh, I'm a father of two beautiful girls. They're 10 and eight. They uh, live here in Ecuador. They're they're Ecuadorian Americans. And, uh, you know, just love living an active lifestyle here in the mountains, in the Andes of Ecuador. That's amazing. And I want to slow things down a bit. For, for one, you're a Chicagoan. Whoop, whoop. That's where I was born and raised. Chicago. Chicago. You no, know, Chi Town. I need to Absolutely. know Cubs or Sox. Honestly, I really wasn't a baseball fan growing up. Um, to be honest, I'm just going to admit that. I'm going to throw it out there. Okay. I am a Bears fan, sadly. Okay. Uh, there's there's not much we can do about that. <laughs> nope. That's uh, I'll right. never forget that Super Bowl win uh, when I was a little, little kid running around banging pots and pans at my grandma's house. But yeah. um, I grew up uh, in the near west side, just outside of Chicago in a, in a small suburb of Forest Park. Yep. And um, it was amazing. I was within walking distance of my prosthetist office. Uh, just all the things that I experienced growing up using a prosthesis where I never even considered uh, that this was not really the reality that most people face. Yeah, well, and I didn't. And the, on the, the flip side, besides, I'm so excited you're a Chicagoan. I didn't even know you were an amputee. So that was another bit of information. I love this. This is great. Thank you for sharing all that. LP, tell us a little bit about you. Little secret. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh gosh, where to start? Um, well, I live, I was born and raised in Colorado and I live here now in a little ski town, Winter Park. Um, and skiing is my absolute favorite thing in the whole world and kind of really what got me into the nonprofit world and also just working with people with disabilities. And so I guess my love for travel and really like awareness of my own mobility has started from a very young age of like growing up skiing and hiking and doing all these active things in Colorado. And I was a very competitive soccer player throughout um, all the way through college. So I got to travel the world playing soccer, which led me to some one very cool places, but also the, I guess, art of soccer in my mind is like the most universal language um, because they play it everywhere. And so it's been really cool to see a few different full circle things happen in my life. And one being that uh, I've played soccer with some of our patients in Ecuador um, and they are very good. <laughs> um, so um, it's been really cool to just watch them um, on the amputee soccer team. Um, <clears throat> progress in, in that arena as well. And, um, my background was really engineering focused. Um, I got a civil engineering degree, which led me to water treatment and wastewater treatment. And I got a certificate in engineering for developing communities, um, from CU Boulder, um, as part of a master's program. Uh, so my, I think my background, um, really was just about development work. And I always kind of saw myself working in the developing world um, in resource poor areas, helping people really access, um, you know, clean drinking water, but now through ROMP accessing healthcare and um, their right to mobility. So 
it's been um, quite a journey kind of out of the pr private engineering sector and then into now um, the Range of Motion Project and working for a nonprofit for now. I've been with Romp for six years now full time um, and kind of taking that engineering degree and that side of things, but also um, really elevating the stories of impact of our patients and what we're doing in the model and how we're doing it, because that's what I believe in so wholeheartedly and what I've seen done wrong elsewhere and why I essentially work for Romp now um, and being able to translate that story for donors and um, raise more money so we can help more people. That's great. That's pretty impressive. I like that. Hey, David, where did you end up going and, and getting your degree? And, and was this something you wanted to do? I mean, was there any question in your mind that you were heading that direction from the get-go? I wasn't certain, actually. Um, I went, uh, I pursued my undergraduate degree in biology at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And I thought that I was going to go into medical school. Um, when I was a junior, however, the idea of like four or five or however many more years of school and uh, debt in med school, I, I definitely wanted to help people and, and work in healthcare. Um, but I, I was coincidentally getting a new prosthesis made. And, and really for the first time then it occurred to me like, wait a minute, what about this profession? Like, how do we do this? How do I learn this profession? So I asked my prosthetist uh, and he pointed me in, in the direction of, of, uh, of the, the field. And I went back to the University of Illinois uh, um, and wanted to understand exactly what coursework I would need to then go on to prosthetic school. And I'll never forget going to this, this resource library for careers. It's like a career resource library. And I found this small bookshelf, probably two or three feet of books uh, and journals and things about prosthetics. It was very, very little information. Mm -hmm. And quite a bit of what I actually pulled off that shelf and was reading about was global lack of access to prosthetic care, the millions of amputees the world over from conflict and from landmines and from motor vehicle accidents. And that's really when my, not only did I learn about the profession and decide then and there, I'm going to get the rest of the prerequisites I need to go to Northwestern University's prosthetics program after my undergrad. But I also then right then kind of there was the spark of, in addition to that, I would love to figure out a way to help solve this problem as a prosthetist. And so both of those things kind of happened simultaneously for me. But uh, definitely was not thinking about this as a career when I was a a little kid, I just was like, wow, this is the weird place that I go where all these strange smells and grinding noises are happening. And, and then I have to adapt to this new device and go on with my life. And then that was it. Um, so I'm very happy that I found this profession and, and considered it because I absolutely love it. It's a great way to help people deal with a significant loss and then transform and look to the future, look forward to a new life of opportunities. Yeah. It's a very beautiful process that we're a part of. Very, very true. And and being a part of that, I can totally understand what that must feel like. Because I, I love the way my prosthetist works for me. And he'll tell me I was up all night because I know it's not fitting you right. And I couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, dude, that's that's cool that I'm on your mind. It's not just a job that you really do have to put your heart and soul into it. And so if you're lucky enough to get that kind of prosthetist, then, then you hold on for dear life, right? Um, 
did you do any work within the states then to get a base before romp happened yes so my studies uh my, my prosthetic certificate i obtained at northwestern university and then to become an american board certified prosthetist or orthotist working in this field uh at the time i had to do a residency so i, I was in the chicagoland area working uh doing my residency with a company there i then uh, did work for about a year and a half uh, as an employed prosthetist, uh, board eligible, and then later did my exams and became a board certified prosthetist in the U.S. Uh, and I, I do maintain, I, I certainly left the States a few years after that, um, but I'm back quite frequently and I do maintain my certification and, uh, and, and go to conferences and stuff because, you know, the, the way that prosthetics is done in the U.S. is, is very much the, the cutting edge. It's the tip of the spear. Uh, it's where the, the technology is being developed. It's where all of the new techniques, the ideas. It's a robust field, um, even though we definitely need more prosthetists in this field. We, we really have a hard time keeping up with the demand, even in the States. Um, but it is really where uh, the, the, the great technology of our era is coming from. And um, and, and now, really, my work is to, to create bridges between Latin America and the U.S. so that that technology, that knowledge can flow to our colleagues in Latin America and on to patients in Latin America. Oh, for sure. I can I can understand that totally. Now, LP, how did you end up finding Romp? How did you connect? Um, I love that question because I love this story. Um, <laughs> it's so like serendipitous and happenstance kind of, but I had been working for an engineering firm in Alaska for a few years. And I just realized that that kind of work and sector like wasn't for me. I always knew that I wanted to um, help people and um, working, yeah, working for the private engineering sector just um, wasn't, wasn't my passion. We'll just say that. So I took a break from engineering, which I thought was going to be about a year long. And I'm going on about 10 years now um, of that break. So I went travel. I uh, bought a one-way ticket to South America. It had just always been on my list. I'd never been there. And I kind of just through friends of friends, um, ended up in Ecuador, needed a place to stay. Um, you know, did the random Facebook post of like, does anyone know anyone in Quito? And, um, my friend at the time in Alaska, my roommate, um, went to college with Dave's younger brother. Well, um, and so that was the connection. And I stayed on his couch for about two weeks, got to meet Dave and his whole family. And this was in the October of 2013. Um, so yeah, almost 10 years ago, that's kind of crazy. And just saw what he was doing and how he was doing it. And it just really solidified kind of everything I'd been looking for. Um, I'd been so passionate about drinking water, um, but the mobility part of it was really interesting to me too. Cause that's something else that I'm extremely passionate about. And like, just, I value so much in my own life. Um, and so seeing that, um, I just was really interested, but I didn't know kind of where I would fit in. So a few years later, um, I just kept in touch with Dave and they started climbing for romp in 2015. Um, and I saw it as an opportunity to really kind of get involved and take over that global event, which I know you've been a part of too, Angie. Um, and so I've been in charge of climbing for romp since 2016. Um, and that's really what got me into romp. And then 
just kind of have grown from there. But um, that's definitely my favorite part of my job is climbing Cotopaxi and organizing that global event every year. That's awesome. What that is a a, a unique story. I mean, yeah. <laughs> who would think? And then when you bring up October 2013, that was the beginning of my journey. So mm. July, I hurt myself, and then I think it was September was my first surgery. October, my second, and December that year, my third of like ten before amputation. So 2013 was very profound for me too. Um, So yeah, we got that going for us. All right. So now let's get to the meat of this romp. All right. So David, this, this was your baby, right? You're the founder. Yep. I'm a co-founder. It's really one of my coworkers and colleagues and, and probably, you know, one of the closest friends I have in life, uh, Eric Newfeld, who he, both he and I were doing our residencies together in prosthetics in Chicago. And, um, and then another friend of ours who is a corporate lawyer uh, and now works with musicians and artists and helped us create the organization based on uh, some experiences that I had had early on in my career, volunteering abroad with other organizations and wanting to um not just leave it there as occasionally I'll go on trips working with people, but seeing an opportunity to, to learn from the stuff that I had seen on the ground in different countries and to try to improve on that and do it ourselves. Uh, and it was really Eric who said, you know, you're traveling a lot, you're helping abroad, you're, you're helping people. Why, maybe we can do, maybe we can build our own organization and, and leverage our own networks and our own communities who are very generous, who are very dedicated to giving back to the world, to making the world a better place, uh, the Chicagoland community, especially where we started. Let's start something uh, for the benefit of amputees who are poor, who do not have access to prosthetic care, and let's try to give them the best care we can possibly give them. That's amazing. And what, so what are the different countries or cities that you guys actually work through? Is it pretty close-knit, small amount of communities right now so you don't go too broad and too thin? Well, we, for many, many years, focused the majority of our efforts for about 10 years exclusively on the country of Guatemala, where we started in a rural part of the country called Zacapa, uh, which is also famously known for its rum, Ron Zacapa, which is quite delicious. And our executive director there, our Guatemalan leader, Luis, loves to say that two great things come from Zacapa, Ron Zacapa and Romp Zacapa, <laughs> because that's 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 where Romp started. Um, I then moved to Ecuador and so started to um, periodically organize uh, small groups of volunteers to serve 20, 30 patients a year. Um, but since 2005, Romp now operates full-time clinical services in Ecuador, Guatemala, and through a network of volunteer prosthetists in the U.S. as well, Uh, most specifically kind of in Denver, Chicagoland area, and and some networks kind of on the East Coast. Um, Our goal at this point, uh, after working now for almost 17 years in refining our model, in refining our processes, in building up and training teams in Guatemala and Ecuador, Uh, is to look towards the future with a bold and ambitious goal of generating universal access to prosthetic care by 2050 
in all of the countries where we work. So really leaning in as an organization to contribute to that big, big goal, because in spite of 17 years of our work and over 4,000 patients served through ROMP receiving prosthetic care, there are still dozens of thousands of more. And as an organization, we are committed to not only individually working one-on-one -on -one with patients who come to us, but building and helping to strengthen health systems and um, increased investment towards amputees in the countries where we work uh, in, in Latin America. So currently that is our, our mission is to work uh, in, in the Americas and to bring quality prosthetic care to people so that they can become more independent and healthier uh, members of society. I mean, that's really what it's all about. Anyone who's, who's, who lives with an amputation, I think this can resonate uh, with you, but at the same time, anyone who's ever suffered any sort of setback physically, uh, any sort of injury, um, even just illness that lays you up for a few days, uh, imagine that just dragging on for eternity, for the rest of your life, when a clear solution like prosthetic care exists and can really make a huge difference in that in your mobility. So, um, so yeah, that's where we're working. And, and, and within Ecuador and Guatemala, to be specific, we're actually branching out every year more and more, covering more of the provinces or departments, which are kind of the equivalents of states within those countries, with our services, uh, building up networks of service providers that work at the community level, finding amputees, um, helping them connect with our prosthetic lab, as well as helping them access physical therapy services, psychological health services, uh, livelihood development and, and jobs or capital to start small businesses. I mean, we really wanna see people with amputation thriving. It's not just about a device, the prosthetic limb, it's really about the wholeness of someone being restored in all facets of mobility. Um, whereas the device might help with the physical aspect of it, uh, the loss might still cut very deep psychologically. Um, and that might impact family relationships and community relationships. It might impact someone's employment status, right? I mean, all these things, when, when the loss of a limb occurs, we look at as an organization and we try to help our patients overcome the various barriers that they're facing towards thriving. I'll tell you what, I, you're dear to my heart, that is the main reason I started this podcast this is the main reason I got my CPT in corrective exercise and I'm working towards therapeutic horsemanship right now because I believe in treating the whole person. You know, I, I'm moving and everything, but how am I doing emotionally? How am I doing mentally with where I'm at in my life? And I just, I know there's a lot of people that may have a prosthetic, but they just can't get over what tragedy happened to them or how it's affecting their, their, their family life or how those support systems they have in place are getting torn down and, and beaten up and exhausted. And what you're saying is everything that I have built this podcast around was to empower amputees, one, to live healthy, healthy lives, to live their best life, put their best foot forward, no pun intended. Um, and I feel that when you're moving, and that's why when I do this, and I think this is, I, I try to think back of when I first got introduced to ROMP, and I just love the message that mobility was really important because with my mobility, after about five years of being laid up in surgery, after surgery, after surgery, I had gained a lot of weight. I didn't feel like myself. I'd always been an athlete LP, you know, I mean, I get that. Like I was always in sports, softball, 
And to have gained all that weight as a mom, I homeschooled my kids. They saw every aspect of my life and what I went through. And, and just, I started moving. And once I got mobile, everything else shifted. My emotional state went skyrocketed. My mental state got clear. And I found myself in a much more beautiful place, a more blessed place and a more grateful place. And people will ask me all the time, do you regret any decision? I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I don't consider myself disabled. I like to get out and do things and nothing can stop me. I always tell my husband, all it takes is one step in front of the next and I can accomplish anything. But if you take it one step at a time, you can do it. So I love that that's what you guys represent and stand for. And that is probably why I found you. And I think I found you on social media is my best guess. Cause I was just looking for anything I could do that would get me moving for a purpose. Like mm-hmm. for myself, it's one thing, but I I'm driven by external. So if I could fundraise for you, or if I could reach a goal or hit this or that, then that was the carrot in front of me. And I think that's when I first started with romp. And actually, I think it was, well, I've only been an APT three years. So I'm guessing it happened. This was the first time you guys couldn't go to Cotopaxi to climb because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. And yeah, I think it was 2020. Yep. And I think that's when I actually did Mount Humphreys here in Arizona, mm-hmm. which to, to this day, it was still my hardest hike ever. And then it started to rain when we got to the clearing and I had to try to go down and it was the slipperiest downhill slope. It took me six hours to do that hike. Gosh. I have never been so exhausted in my life, but I think that was the, that was what got me totally in love with working with you guys. And that's when I said, you know, with this podcast, I got to get you on, I got to get you on. I want to hear more about it. I want to, I was hoping that you would come through and say what you just said, because it's exactly what <laughs> I, your, I feel your social presence is stating. And, and that's great because it's, it's true to what you guys are actually putting out there marketing wise. So good job on that. Kudos for that. Um, question for you about that. You said you do stuff with the United States, the, the couple different offices, I guess you have around like Chicago and Colorado, right? What do you do there? Is that more marketing stuff or is that actual prosthetic work? So we operate three primary programs in the U.S. that are critical to our strategy as an organization. The number one most important program that we run in the U.S. is our prosthetic recycling program that we call Components for a Cause. Mm -hmm. We collect prosthetic waste, refurbish it, recycle it, inventory it, and redistribute it throughout the Americas to Ecuador, Guatemala, and our partner sites in the U.S., And we're moving thousands and thousands of pounds a month of supplies. That is one way that we're able to provide high quality prosthetic care at a very, very low cost. The second program that we run in the U.S. is our U.S. assistance program. There are people living with amputation throughout the U.S. who, for a variety of reasons, immigration status, uh, lapses in insurance plans, not being insured, um, even depending on what state you live in, there might not be Medicare, Medicaid coverage for you for prosthetic care. And so um, prosthetists throughout the U.S. 
can apply for help from ROMP on behalf of their patient that they have determined is eligible for this type of program because they've exhausted all the other options. And we supply the prosthetist with the components and materials, and in some cases, some financial resources to do the fabrication of the device, which they then provide the care. And the third program that we run in the US is our um, volunteer program. So we recruit uh, people from 12 to you know, 90 years old of all backgrounds. Many of them are prosthetists, uh, physical therapists, physicians, um, engineers, students, people who have an interest in the field, uh, all walks of life, all backgrounds uh, have participated in our programs. And we bring these wonderful people, our volunteers to Guatemala, to Ecuador, to work alongside of our, our local teams uh, with a group of patients to exchange knowledge to, to, to all hands on deck, to participate together. And we do this because we know one, we can help uh, transfer knowledge and, and understanding about prosthetic care. But beyond that, we can create bridges between cultures, between peoples uh, to really do, I think, what's at the core of, of our work, which is um, seeing humanity as, 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 one, as one and um, connecting people's hearts and minds, realizing that we're all in this together. And the fact that, that uh, maybe a border exists does not take away from the fact that we have not figured out how to create a more just and equitable world. And that's on all of us to figure that out somehow. Uh, bound, I do not believe that boundaries insulate us or protect us from that responsibility. And that's really where our volunteers come from. So they come from you know, university programs and uh, professional groups and whatnot. And over the years, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people come down uh, sometimes repeat offenders, if you will, who come to work with us uh, abroad. And uh, those are the three primary programs. So we actually do not operate our own ROMP sort of clinical sites, uh, but we work in partnership with amazing prosthetists and companies in the U.S. who are committed to finding ways to address that population in their, in their cities. I mean, it's terrible to be a prosthetist and, and someone comes in and then you know, they go through all the paperwork and then you realize, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. So then what? I mean, that's a terrible feeling for the patients and certainly terrible for the caregiver. So we try to, we're trying to create alternatives in the States as well to close that gap. Well, you know, and it's funny you say this because, you know, you know, I would say that, you know, we've been very fortunate. My husband has a very good job. We have very good insurance. And yet I still was declined right off the bat after my surgery and I had to fight for it. Now, I only had to fight four weeks, but I will tell you that was the most exhaustive, emotionally exhaustive four weeks of my life. I called Monday through Friday and hated Fridays because I knew I wouldn't hear anything back Saturday or Sunday and started it all up again on Monday, thinking and fearing maybe I did the wrong thing because if I don't have a leg, I can't be on crutches for the rest of my life. That's going to wreck. I mean, I already had carpal tunnel happening, you know, because I'm pretty <laughs> aggressive on my crutches. It's surprising I haven't fallen more than I have. Um, and so I can't even begin to imagine how many people, even within the United States, that yes. have insurance, but they're denied, denied, denied. And I've literally talked to a good handful of people that have been denied and their husbands or whatever have come to me saying, could you talk to her? She's given up. And we, we can't give up. They always deny, you know? Yeah, that, that, that process of denial is so degrading 
um, to be told that whatever paperwork you submitted, you still haven't proven medical necessity. Um, I remember early in my career writing letters of, of, of justification to insurance companies and they would say, you know, justify this. And I, I thought, well, shouldn't the, this should be the easiest response in the world. Person is missing a leg. Is that not justification enough? And that is what we're dealing with. That 90% of the world's amputees don't have access. Is it not justification enough that they don't have a limb, that they should have prosthetic care, or at least the option to access it if they're interested? Uh, and it, it's a degrading thing to go to on top of all the other loss that you had to face and everyone else that's gone through that process to try to prove, I don't know, that you're worthy enough um, or that you need it badly enough. Uh, I, that's, that's something that definitely drives us uh, that, that frustration with, with the way that uh, structures are currently uh, and even in our in our own society in the U.S., that there are these 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 glaring failures that we we all uh, are. You're doing your part to kind of raise awareness about, and and every time someone goes through that denial process and fights and doesn't give up, they're doing their part, and that's what we're doing, kind of all little by little, leaning into that that problem. Um, but there are plenty of people in the U.S. who are just uninsured, who don't have an option uh, at all, and that's. Uh, one area where we where we want to continue growing and, and, and responding to the need in the U.S. as well. No, very true. And you know what people don't maybe don't realize that aren't ABT is is that this doesn't just happen once. When I finally did get approval, I was told this is a one time deal, and I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't grow back, right? You know, and I am literally right now waiting for my claim to be approved, and I've been waiting three weeks. So. And I, I don't know. I mean, if you look at anything I've done, you can tell that I need something. I've put in, put on like several million steps in the last less than three years on this leg and I beat it to snot. So, you know, I'm hoping I have a lot of life left. So I'm thinking, gosh, do I have to do this every few years and prove, Whew. you know, I, I don't think people understand what it takes to actually fight for what you should be righted to. Like that's mobility is like my freedom. If I don't have that, then I have to rely on everybody else for things because crutches do not afford you hands and I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. That's just not who I am. So I fight, right? So LP, tell me, what is it that you do with the company? What is your major role here in the United States? Yeah. Um, I just, well, I just want to say, I just love everything you guys have just been talking about and like how important mobility is and like the physical aspect of mobility is like the first step, right. Of like the rest of the change that can happen. Um, and like, I want to say just on what Dave was just saying that, um, like he mentioned, you know, our goal is to really try to change systems. So right now, a lot of what we're doing is one patient at a time um, and working with partners and all of that. But there's so many amazing organizations around the world that are doing the work as well. Um, and especially in the U.S., it just it doesn't really make sense to me that people are slipping through the healthcare system and then being picked up um, by by nonprofits like that shouldn't be our responsibility. Um, but it is, and we're here to help at the same time. Like there's a lot of change that needs to happen. Right. Um, so my work with romp, um, really started with cl the climbing for romp campaign. So I was very passionate about that. And I saw the potential to make that 
a really big awareness event, a big fundraiser. Um, and I think, you know, a little bit of it was selfish because I wanted to go to Ecuador and climb big mountains with um, my friend Dave and some of our patients down there. Um, and that kind of really just snowballed into this um, major event every year where we have, you know, elite athletes climbing together, um, 19,000 foot peaks and really saying to the world, you know, this is what is possible when you have access to prosthetic care. Um, just like when you have access to the right mountaineering gear, you know, crampons or an ice axe or a waterproof jacket, all of that stuff. It's just tools to access, um, more things in our lives. And I think the message around climbing for romp is, um, it's important, uh, for me to like clear up that we're not, you know, taking people to 19,000 foot like peaks, um, as like part of our mission, it's really a statement. And also to just recognize that like someone's 19,000 foot peak or someone's Everest could be that third surgery or, accessing fighting insurance, right. For like their walking leg or their running leg or something like that. So the hashtag what's your mountain has kind of morphed over the years into this thing of like, we're all fighting different mountains, whether it's like a physical thing or a mental thing or emotional or like work related and that like, we just have to keep climbing, you know? And so that's really what climbing for romp has done. And this year is the eighth annual climbing for romp event. It'll be in September. Um, and yeah, it'll, it's our mobility events. Sorry, back to your question. That's what I do is I raise money and awareness for romp. So a lot of my job is dealing with, um, corporate partners and donors and grants, um, and really just kind of trying to elevate our brand to share that message that you were talking about earlier, Angie, of just like, mobility is important and like sharing the impact of like what we're doing, um, and how everyone can be involved. And mobility is not just something that amputees should care about or people with disabilities should care about. It's something that every human can relate to. So I think that's, um, I don't know, that's my job in a nutshell. And mobility may is like, the best way to celebrate <laughs> too. Very much so. and, and going on to that hashtag there, Mobility May, is that, was that started by you guys? Is that a romp thing? Yeah. You know, I'll take credit for it. I'm sure some yoga instructor, um, influencer on Instagram started it, you know, 10 years ago, but yeah. we are in our fourth annual Mobility May. And I just love it's right after limb loss awareness month. For me, it's like the snow is melting. Like it's time. It's like that feeling where you like want to get outside. It's more sunny springs coming. And, um, it's just the perfect way to kind of celebrate the change of seasons and just get mobile for a cause. Um, it also happens to be romps birthday month and Dave Krupa's birthday month. So it kind of leads up to this kind of celebration at the end of the month. Um, I remember last year's birthday cool. celebrations. Yep. Yes. Yes. Specifically not to get a cake to the face this year. So <laughs> um, I know, that could raise a lot of money and awareness, David. I know it did so good last year, Dave. <laughs> well, maybe now, now I'll, I'll do it for a price tag. If someone wants to make a $10,000 donation, I'll take two cakes to the face. Did y'all um, hear that? $10,000 donation. <laughs> Dave takes. <laughs> I I will for sure. Um, you know, LP LP L, LP's work is 
you know, raising the money, raising the awareness for this organization is the fuel that allows us to do our work. Um, you know, the money, the awareness, the partnerships, the people, the volunteers, the participants in our events, that's our fuel that allows us to keep the mobility engine that is romp, not only purring, but, um, you know, getting bigger and bigger and, and, and covering more territory for more people. So, uh, Definitely, LP. You know the, the work that you do is is of the most of the utmost importance, and you do it so beautifully. And you really bring our community together, uh, and and we need our community, and we need those donations, and we need that money to convert it into mobility. Mm-hmm. Oh, for Thank sure. You. And LP's been amazing at that. Like I've known you, I've never been able to really put, a, except for social posts, never been able to talk 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 with you, but. We've had a lot of emails back and forth and, and texting and you're, you're always so amazing and you, you always fill my bucket with your kind words like you see me and you see what I do, even though it's just a drop in your bucket. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I try and I do what I can with where I'm at in my life with teenage boys and, you know, being a, a housewife and doing my thing and just trying to get out there. But you know, and I appreciate that because it's it, it's what motivates me to continue. So you're doing the right things because that's what's getting me pushing for you guys even more and why I really wanted you on because I really think, you know, social media is amazing and it really puts your 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 face out there really as a as a company, as a group, a nonprofit. But I really wanted people to hear the people behind it and the stories and and the the, the true heart of what romp is. And, and I thought this was the best way. And that's why, like I said, I'm hoping you're okay. I'm going to share on YouTube because I really think people need to see the face behind what's going on here in the United States, what's going on in, you know, in Ecuador. And, and, and I, I have my, my, my merch back here. Yes, <laughs> I love my merch. I have my merch. And, and I'm guessing based on what we've talked about so far, the reason for this mountain is that metaphorical mountain that we can all, can, we can all relate to, amputee or not. But it also has the biggest, are these the biggest mountains in South America? In Ecuador, yeah. In Ecuador, okay. And so, and then that you do every year except for pandemic year. Did Have you guys gotten back to climbing again, Cotopaxi? Yeah, yeah. So it was crazy. We, um, and I just have to like, thank you. That was so sweet what you just said. And just to be like part of our little social community and our mobility community and it, it does feel like these events, even though they're virtual, um, they bring people together and I think, and celebrate, you know, your own mobility while giving that gift to others. And that's kind of what the goal has always been. Um, COVID did a very funny thing for romp where we kind of had to take everything virtual. Um, but what we saw was this online community kind of pop up of support and, it, it felt like really strong. It was very cool to see, like it was the 30th anniversary of the ADA mm-hmm. signing mm-hmm. Um, in 2020. Everyone like got out and climbed on July 26th um, for romp. We raised a bunch of money, but like just the energy, like through social media, um, you could just feel it and just feel everyone share. I mean, we did that recap video of like, you know, why mobility matters, why you're climbing and stuff. Um, and it was just so cool to see the different faces around the world that joined us. Um, and I really feel like that community is what carries us through every year, um, with these events, because 
really what we're trying to do through Mobility May and everything is raise money for our patients, um, but at the same time, really create and keep that community strong so that we can keep doing what we're doing and make people feel like they're part of something bigger. Well, and I think that was actually a benefit of the pandemic for you guys. It benefited every business, but I think it actually made you redefine a little bit because I probably wouldn't have been able to go to, to Ecuador, but yeah. this way I was able to find the biggest mountain in Arizona yeah. and, and try something <laughs> and that would be, I always yeah. wanted to, right? And it gave me a time frame, a deadline, and everybody else was doing it. So I felt like I was unified. I'm like, I'm the kind of person that doesn't want to miss out. So I'm like, everyone's climbing today. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I got yep. my husband out and he climbed with me. He's my, been my support system and everything through all these years. And, and we did it together. And I know he, I think got about 6 million gray hairs that day coming back down the mountain <laughs> in the rain. I to tell you, I've never seen him like standing in front of me trying to make mm-hmm. sure he lied because it was all roots and rocks and the water was literally running down the mountain. Oh my gosh broke one of my sticks going down. He had to Jimmy rig it. So it would still work for me. Cause I needed both sticks to break. It was, right. but I felt like that really did was a good thing for you guys. It seemed like it just, it brought, like you said, it brought the world together more. It made it the world not so big. Right. And I think like climbing from before COVID had been this like community event where people were organizing climbs and then trying to get everyone to one trailhead and like people are still doing that but what COVID did was just like oh grab some friends and go do this on this day Mm -hmm. so we're definitely going to keep that model um for this September and we're moving it away from like the ADA anniversary at the end of July um just to give it more time after Mobility May and then also because our team of athletes um, will be down in Ecuador that end of September and first week of October. So we're going to kind of ramp up like the momentum and everyone to be climbing in solidarity with that team while we're on Cotopaxi. So to answer your question, you asked a second ago, we did go back to Cotopaxi last year. Dave and I did a double summit, um, two weeks in a row because of the restrictions on Cotopaxi with like the amount of people, So we split the team into two teams and then we just went back to back, which was very difficult, but also just incredible to be able to experience it twice in a row, um, with two different, amazing teams. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, as I want to start wrapping up here, I I do want to hear any story you have a, a feel good story, something that really can help resonate what romp is stood for and that really has kind of pulled on your own heartstrings that might be a great great thing for people that are listening to hear about so whoever wants to start that's got a story in their mind or their heart have have that oh yeah i've got a million but 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 i've got one specifically to what you just said lp about climbing code epoxy back to back which is a very physically hard thing to do. Um, I know a guy here, uh, one of our patients in Ecuador, his name is Roynel. And Roynel is from Venezuela, and I'm in Ecuador. But uh, Roynel, several years ago, uh, lost his his leg above the knee. And um, he actually migrated to Ecuador 
because a lot of people had left the country of Venezuela due to the crises that they're living with. And uh, he has a young son and his wife and his mother and family that he left in Venezuela and came to Ecuador looking for job opportunities. Now, mind you, he did this as a person with an above the knee amputation, without a prosthesis, on crutches, crossing mostly overland, on foot from Venezuela through Colombia, uh, through single tracks to cross the borders into Ecuador, on crutches, carrying a massive backpack with all of his things. And I'm and and when I think the going gets tough and we're like hiking and it's three in the morning and it's dark and cold, I go to Paxton. I just think here's Roynel who came looking for a prosthesis with Romp. Uh, and I first met him under those conditions. We then were able to provide him uh, an amazing prosthesis with with a mic with a recycled microprocessor knee, because a guy who's that I, I was watching videos of him crossing borders and going through jungles and, and on single track with crutches. I said, man, you're going to need kind of the top line stuff. He left walking so happy. A couple months later, I get a message from him. He's now in Peru because he migrated a little further down to Peru. This time he's actually getting around walking and carrying his stuff and up, in, you know, buses and all the things. Um, and then he sort of, he's like a goose. He like migrates across South America from Venezuela down to almost into Chile, turns back around. And as he's going back up towards Venezuela to be home with his family by Christmas, he stopped off again at our facilities. We did a bunch of repairs. We had to change his socket. We had to do this, that, and the other thing, and then send him back. And then the last video I got from him was him crossing the border, but this time walking and carrying with a line of people, by mind you, that are refugees that are constantly migrating around this part of the world, just looking for ways to survive. Um, his mobility and his prosthetic care was so critical to his survival, to his ability to find opportunities, to save a little bit of money, to send that back home to his wife and child, to then be back with them. And what he said he wanted to do was walk into his home, pick up his son in his arms, and walk around the house with his son in his arms, not with crutches, like you said, right? Crutches, leave your hands tied up. And that's what he was so excited to do, in addition to all the other things that he was able to do for his family. Uh, so Roynel has certainly reminded me that, like, you know, when we're crushing it and, and thinking we're pretty tough climbing mountains, uh, here's a guy who's literally traveled thousands of miles on foot, on one foot and a couple crutch tips, and then later uh, in a much more dignified fashion so that he could be home and hold his own son in his arms and walk around uh, smiling and dancing and doing what you do on Christmas and New Year's, right? Well, I'll tell you, the human spirit is incredible. You know, and I, I truly believe that what our, we tell our brain that we can or cannot do is exactly what we can or cannot do. And when it comes down to even, like you said, picking up your kid with some dignity like that, I don't, I don't think people get what that really means. Those that are able-bodied, like that might seem so small, but it is something that will carry him through forever just the ability to do that. And that's just by the kindness of what you all do there. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. All right, LP, how about you? What story do you have that? Yeah, I know Dave's got me all teary eyed over right? here. Holy cow. Um, that is a good like 
story to think about when we're suffering at 4am on Cotopaxi though. Holy cow. Um, it's humbling, right? Yeah. I have so many like amazing moments with patients. Um, but I think one of my favorite things about romp and why I believe in what we do so much is this kind of sustainable, um, access to care and just being able to see the same patients come back to our clinics year after year. That's and watching them grow up like these kids just getting photos, like, Oh my gosh, they were in like six months ago. I saw them there. And then you're getting a photo from Guatemala that they came back to get a new socket. And like, it just makes me so happy to know that like they will be taken care of. Um, and yeah, this, I guess I want to like shout out to some of our staff. So we actually have like two staff members who are romp patient. Oh, three, three staff members now. Um, Sarah, Vivi and, um, Carlos. Um, so yeah, these are patients of romp that, um, I guess like just, and I don't know the like whole stories behind all of them, but got introduced to prosthetic care and became interested in like what was happening, you know, in the fabrication lab. Um, I know with Carlos, right. He just like kept coming back. He was like doing his gate training. And then he's like, what's going on back there? Like, can I like hang out for a day? And he just like kept coming back. And then we trained him as a prosthetic tech and he's been in our Guatemala clinic for now. What's, I mean, longer than I've been. Um, Yeah. 13 years, maybe. Really? Yeah. And so he's a full-time staff member now and he's so stoic. And like, every time I'm in Guatemala, I just like try to make him like laugh or smile. And he's just like doing his work. And like, it's just, it's amazing to see, um, how they've grown with the organization and we've been able to, yeah, really like not only provide prosthetic care, but then also this like job and community for them um and to have them then help other people um is just really amazing and sarah is one of those people and i don't know angie if you've seen our film that we put out last week but i have to do a plug for this film it goes um it's just 11 minutes long and tells sarah's like entire story just so beautifully and i am so lucky to know her and work with her and be able to have climbed with her last year and talk about being through like fighting for her own mobility, just, I mean, for her her entire life. And then in 2019, she was on the team and she got injured, um, and took crutches up to the refuge on Cotopaxi and cheered the rest of the team on from the refuge. And she's like, I'm coming back for this mountain. Like I'm going to, I'm going to heal. I'm going to get better. And that's what she did. I mean, she healed her leg and then trained so hard in 2020. And then we got to summit together last October and like, whew, man, go watch the film. If you haven't seen it, the links in the bio, wherever Angie's going to put them. <laughs> I have to, I'm getting, I'm getting better at that on YouTube. I did it last time. I'm like, sure. I figured out how to do it. So I'll, I'll do that somehow. I'll figure out the link and definitely put it in there as something that comes up at the very end of our, our podcast. But yeah, that's incredible. I did see her story come up and I got a chance to watch and you can, I can relate. Yeah. Things yeah, can be going yeah. really good. And then wham, something happens, you know, and 
and then you're out of your leg. I've had the TMR surgery because I had a huge asymptomatic or symptomatic uh, neuroma in my mm-hmm. hamstring that was, they took out like four inches and he's, you know, he's like, you want to see pictures? And I thought he meant like not picture pictures. So I, I, I definitely was never meant to be in the medical field. Cause I was like, you know, seeing the, <laughs> like, I didn't need to see that. I didn't know you were going to show me that, but um, you know, it's incredible. Like I said, the things that we have to go through, just like you said, at the very beginning, it, even if you're not an amputee, we all go through our valleys and we all rise to the top of a mountain and enjoy the view while you're at the top, because you know what? A valley is going to be coming again. It just is. It's just what life oh, yeah. is. I it's wish like, what I know now, I knew when I was like, you know, 15 or 16, when everything felt like the world would crumble and never come back to good, right? In those moments. But it is, right? Mountains and valleys all the time. Sometimes within the same day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now the most important thing, how can people help? What are the different ways of, of helping romp grow and become a, a bigger force to be reckoned with in our world? Yeah. Um, well, I'll, t- I'll take this one for a minute, Dave. There's so many ways to get involved. First of all, like Dave said earlier, do- donating components, Um, If you're in Colorado, we have so many just volunteer opportunities here, um, events and stuff, and coming to volunteer with us in Guatemala and Ecuador. Um, Obviously, all the wonderful mobility campaigns where you can get mobile, raise money, um, and join the three of us here um, on all of those different endeavors. And then like, as always, you know, being a nonprofit, we are limited by our resources. And that is usually funding. So ROMP has an amazing model where the more funds we bring in, the more people we can help every year. And we are growing and expanding and we have big plans the next three to five years um, and beyond that Dave mentioned earlier. And so, I mean, that's like, you know, the, the best way, right, is to help us financially if that's in your means. And other than that, join our little ROMP family and community and like get moving. Um, That's what I would say. And I don't know if Dave has anything to add to that. Well, just an invitation. Um, Any one of you who's listening, who's who's watching this and and listening, um, and thank you so much, Angie, for hosting us. Of course. An invitation for all of you to, if this touches your heart, if this type of cause is something that resonates with you because um, of, of what you've experienced or what you've experienced with a family member, Romp would love to be family with you and um, your gift financially, whether that's $5 or $5,000 or $50,000 will create so much impact in the lives of people like us who are in need of prosthetic care. It's that simple. And so um, if you are interested, feel free to reach out to LP and I, and like she said, the, through the links in the bio or whatever, you know, if our email addresses will be there or whatnot, um, you know, to, to, to learn more, but also to, uh, to become a part of this cause. We would be honored to steward your hard-earned wealth and money to create beautiful impact for others. Uh, that's what we can offer, and um, we'd love you to have a piece of that. 
that's what we're doing and creating in, in, in the Americas. So we can, we can only do it with, with our community. It's not really us that's doing it. It's all of us that are doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you both for coming on from different areas of the world. Um, I have been looking forward to this. You guys are welcome back. Anytime you have a message you need to send out, my door is always open. Um, I always have a space for you here. You have a space in my heart. I love your message. I love your mission. I hope that someday I can come down and see what you're doing there. I would would be honored to be able to get down at some time and meet you in person. And LP, we get out to Colorado. We're skiers. That was my first goal back after amputation, four months after on the slopes. And with the help of people that worked at adaptive centers at the different uh, mountains in uh, Park City and in Colorado. Amazing people that help just pave that path that says, yeah, you can do this. So what you're missing a leg, you can still do it. All right, let's do it. Mm -hmm. I thank you for all you do for everybody. For those that can't say thank you on a platform like this, I know that with that you see it with your stories that you've got, you can see the gratitude with with the tears that well up and the joy that comes from it because truly mobility is a freedom. It is not a luxury, right? Mobility is not a luxury. It is a a human, a basic human right and a need um, to be the best that we can be for ourselves and others. And it is, for me, is, is just been able to have my independence back. And I truly believe that my journey was meant to be that long. One, to appreciate now what I do have. Mm-hmm. Appreciate where I was, because unless you've been there, it's really hard to understand that. And that's why I know this was the right decision for me. And, you know, I don't take those moments for granted, because like I said, today, I might be walking about great. Tonight, I might be rubbing a sore. <laughs> so I take each moment with love and grace and, and, and a grateful heart. And so I know that's what you're given to all those people that probably never had a hope or dream. Could They were told never to dream for that. So thank right. you for, for what you do for all of those people. That's incredible. Thank you for thank being you. here, both of you. Yeah, thank you're you. You're welcome. So Thanks for having us. My pleasure, for sure. I mean, wow, what an amazing group of people doing amazing things in this world that we live in, breaking down barriers, treating people as people, and giving them back something that, unless you kind of have been there where you've been laid up for a little while, it's really hard to understand what that freedom, that independence to being able to to do things for yourself by walking around and, and, and what dignity that gives somebody to live a life of that kind of freedom and independence. Great people, Romp Global, Range of Motion Project Global. We love you. We, we pray for you. And um, please take a look at the links associated with, with them and, and this video, this audio. Reach out to them. If you are a prosthetist, and you have extra parts. If you're an amputee with old parts you're not using anymore, they can use them to help somebody else move. If you just have a heart for helping, if you have some money, any money, any a dollar to thousands of dollars where you would like to donate to something worthy and important, 
please reach out to them. They, and I've got my own Mobility May going. If you want to donate to my Mobility uh, May program and my team, Rompin' Warriors 22, you may do that as well. All the links will be available in the the bio, in um, anything that I've written up on my website. Please help out where you can. These people are angels here on earth doing good work and creating better lives for so many people. Thank you again for being with me, David and LP. You guys are a true blessing to know and call friends. And as always, until next time, be healthy, be happy, be you.